Hello. Hello, John. Hi, Dan Benjamin. How are you doing? Super good. How about yourself? Pretty good. Pretty good. Pretty yeah. Pretty good. Can't complain. Well, that's a, that's good. That's yeah. a good start to yeah, the day. Why, I mean, why not? I mean, you're halfway through your day there in Austin, Texas. That's true. That Austin, is true. Texas. Yeah. Uh, I don't have anything to complain about because I've only been awake for five minutes. Right. Right. <clears throat> Um, so what's there to, what's there to complain about? Sun is in the air and there's air, which is another great thing. Yeah. I was doing a, doing a lot of research on you this morning. Oh yeah. Yeah. (laughs) I shared Uh with you the, uh, the source for that. Mm. I, um, I was looking for a photograph of you. Um, Wish I had a photograph of you. That's a good song. Is that the um, something to the doves, me. Uh, birds, something? Flock of I seagulls. Spend my life just wishing. Na, 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 na. It's the one of the great songs of the eighties. Totally overlooked, I think. Oh, it's a great song. I hear that it's in my head song. all the time. So uh, I had t- started typing in John Rod, and by the time I got to Rod, it completed Roderick for me. So it knew. It good. knows that I. Who, who, you know, who I might be looking for, which is nice. But one of the first things that it put in there as it as it Google filled this out for me. And again, I don't know if this is because it, it thinks that I would look for this kind of thing or because it didn't uh, say John Roderick wife, John Roderick network wife was the wife. was the one. Uh-huh. And so, of course, I had to click on that because I know, you know, I know all about your your uh, your wife that doesn't exist and uh and but i was curious to see who who, what google would say based on this suggestion and it took me to a very interesting page on a website that i'm going to put into the show notes right now which is called the the site it's not just a page it's a whole site and it's called the story of john roderick (laughs) and the url for those who don't want to go to our show notes and by the way you can you can whenever john and i talk about stuff this is where I talk to the audience, John. Uh, we okay. we put notes in the show, and the show notes are usually in your podcatcher, but you can also go to 5x5.tv slash roadwork slash 110 to get on this. But if you want to just type it in, which I recommend, it's johnroderick.wiki.com. Mm. And it is called The Story of John Roderick. And this yeah. apparently is, I, I don't know if this is one person or if it's crowdsourced, or what, but it is it is a specific Wikipedia just for for you and the stories that you've told. Very different from your Wikipedia entry. This is a whole Wikipedia just on you. And mm-hmm. it is organized into um they have sources listed, and sources are Roderick on the Line, Roadwork, the Omnibus, Friendly Fire, Guest Appearances, and your writing. And they've broken this down into different sections, stories, early days, current events, the big walk, run for office, GMCRV, Seafair and King Neptune, house renovation. Uh, but there are, those are just some of the notable stories. This, there are many more sections here. And uh, you, there's even a function where you can just click random article and it, it, it can load things for you. But um they're they're very on top of things. Um, they have you know all the latest shows are compiled, and you can search. Uh, and when you search, it it comes out. So I typed the word "dog" into the search, 
why well because i remembered this story i finally remember the story of the dog that you experienced um that that i suggest was a complete imaginary dog but you say is a real dog but that was with you on part of a journey that you had and so i just typed into word dog to see what would come up and um it, it comes up with all kinds of uh episodes that you've done on road work and and roderick on the line um and and About so it it, it well there is, it pulls episodes for example uh, road work number 80 was called fly safe dogs and mm-hmm. roderick on the line 150 was called dog beetles so it comes oh, sure. it comes up with dog with those but there's also a section on pets and uh and and there is a um the entry there is called spirit animals which apparently comes from road work episode 16 and it says John oscillates between the raven and the raccoon as his spirit animal. The problem is that the raven does not does not to want that honor. They drop whatever button they are bringing and fly away. Looking up when it flies away can't be the relationship with your spirit animal. Also, ravens are very social and John is only marginally social. But what's really interesting is that there there is tons and tons of information that has been collected and brought all in one place. Uh, things about your Intellivision video game, um, building pipe bombs, how you were a troublemaker in high school, your aspirations to be editor-in-chief, pink leopard spots at the high school prom, your history of bicycle mistakes, uh, adapting to people's accents, a, a whole section on the opening of the Berlin Wall your story of being a ski instructor, but there's also information about your family, your, uh, your, your child girlfriends that you've had over many years. And many of them are, are, are codenamed John's girlfriend, the ballet dancer, John's girlfriend, the one with the dog, John's girlfriend with the motorcycle boyfriend, John's girlfriend, the smoker, the millennial girlfriend. There's, uh, sections here on Chris Gills, Bob Wood, there's one section <laughs> called just called Peter. Peter. Yeah. In the summer of 2017, Peter did some carpentry for John's mom and she suggested that he could do some work on John's basement. Peter currently mm-hmm. plays video poker for a living and he didn't think it would be a complicated situation to come out and work on John's house despite being a friend and despite what happened in the past. Peter also recommended the carpenter Sam to John, S A H M. An article about being in the apple cider business. Peter living in a houseboat. I mean, uh, it's all it's all here. I don't know if we need to do the show the show anymore. We can just read this. <clears throat> I mean, still like doing the show, but I can just read this. John's uncle Junius, John's uncle Al. Well, Uncle Junius would be glad that he got a mention. Yeah, he's in there. Kelly Kiefer. Uh, <clears throat> I've never. <laughs> I've never done a thing like this, but this this seems to me to be now I'm I'm here with you. I'm looking at it. Yeah. This is a tremendous, tremendous amount of work. Yes. Like, it, like, an, like an extraordinary amount of work. Yes. It really is. It's a lot. It's a whole lot. I'm going to guess that the creator of this website hasn't been in touch with you. Well, I saw so, I don't know. You know, over the years, uh, a handful of people between five and eight 
mm-hmm. have written me and said, you know, it's a project I want to, uh, no one has ever said like, I want to personally transcribe all 400 podcast episodes you've done. Right. I think that that seems like an, in, like a, like a impossible job. But people have tried to say, like, I'm creating a website where you, where people can go in and it's interactive and they want to cross-reference this story to that. Because I, I, I feel like it's – if you listen to a lot of shows, you would potentially – a certain type of person would start to feel like, God, I wish I could lay hands on – I know I've heard this before, but this kind of – this story – like, because every story gets told differently and I'll refer to somebody like Peter – as a tangent over here, but you know, a year later, he's the focus of a story for a minute. And then there's a <laughs> glancing reference to him. And, right. And so people are like, I want all the times he mentioned Peter all put together right. some way that I can access it all. And you know, our, our, our friend, our good friend, uh, captain Marm, um, <laughs> a, a friend, uh, my good friend, captain Marm. Uh, that's her, that's her online handle. Marm. Uh, yeah, she and I are, you know, have become like more, more, um, familiar friends than sure. just like online marm, but she's, a she's a very, uh, established scientist in the, uh, sciences in the science world. And she's constantly got all, she's got these degrees and she's publishing papers about uh, things that I don't even, I don't even, uh, uh, understand what she's doing enough that I could even come up with a mocking like fake name for it, which is my number one thing to try to do. <laughs> and I'm just, it's just, she's, I don't even know, I couldn't tell you whether she was a biochemist or a astrophysicist. Although, yeah, I think, you know, somewhere in between, mm-hmm. but she has, um, she has an incredible mind for, uh, she retains like, um, I, I try to imagine what the, the architecture of her mind is, and I know a lot of people with crazy minds, but she has this mind that she's doing this hard scientific work. She's also an artist. Like for a while she was making art by just scraping the burned part off of toast. And she could do pretty, pretty great art on, on like burned toast. She's been would she eat but, it afterwards or preserve it? I have it? no idea. Yeah, she would you not. gotta eat she, it. She didn't say one way or the other. She actually did a painting of the dog beetles and sent them to me. Dog beetles being the beetles, but as dogs, right. like on a, a velvet painting that you might right, see. Right, right, right. Dogs playing stuff. poker or something. But so for years, she has been a resource for listeners of the podcast because if people write in, they're like, what was the episode where they were talking about dog beetles? She, her, her spidey sense tingles or the bat signal goes off or something. And she takes a break from the centrifuge where she's doing like Nobel prize work to go over and say, oh, that was minute 24 oh, on yes, episode yes, yes. 110. And I don't know how, you know, I just, I picture her mind like um, uh, like inside of the Matrix when, when all the racks of machine guns come flying out of the wall. I mean, I picture a lot of things like that. I use that machine guns, uh, that machine guns library as a way of describing a lot of different things. But 
but this is an example of just like, how do you have a card catalog like that? That's going all the time. And it can't just be about this, right? She's got to be, she has to know a lot of things in that way. She has to have access to that. And I can imagine it would be burdensome actually mm-hmm. to have that kind of, um, uh, access to things, uh, in your memory and also, you know, just like the details of them. But she's a, she's a good friend and a good friend of the show. And she, so, but not everybody has access. I mean, no one has access like she does to her memory, but n- not everyone has access even to her. Right. Anyway. So for the last, what are we talking about? Eight years. I've heard from a variety of people and there have been a variety of attempts to put a show to get, or put a website together that has hyperlinks from thing to thing. Sure. Because I think what it is, what it is, people have different. Somebody sent me a, a tweet this morning with a with a um, with a graphical representation of the shape of my year. Right. <laughs> we talked about you know sort of this clockwise broken circle that rumbles around and and in September there's a hard right that type of thing. Somebody right. did, did a drawing of it. Uh, and and posted it to me and I was like oh yeah and I mean we haven't talked about that in a long time but. But it popped up in somebody's mind today. Um, and so there, there have been five, six, seven attempts to represent what the, sh- the show and the stories look like in other people's minds. They're the ones building uh, the structure of the space station. And because there's no gravity uh, in in shaping a thing like this, they can take any form, you know, like they don't have to be bolted to the ground. People can say, Oh no, what it should be is this like thing expanding out from a center. And other people are like, no, it should be a fractal or it should be, you know, there are several attempts, but it's so much work that everyone who's ever talked to me about it has tried to elicit crowd sourcing. You know, Mm -hmm. they want, other fans of the show to gather there and have it be a marketplace where everybody's trying to build a thing. And I've never seen one that really took, you know, that really caught fire. I mean, there have been somewhere where a handful of people have kind of been there like laying bricks, like, you know, like it was Israel in 1948 and they mm-hmm. all had their sleeves rolled up and they're like, we're building a country. <laughs> and then, you know, it's just, it's hard to make that your, the thing that you do all the time. But this, so, oh, in answer to your question, I, I'm, I would f- be very surprised if the person who is building this has not talked to me, has not reached out to me and communicated with right. me. But, but it's not like it's not like they'd said, John, I'm undertaking this project about all about you and I, I kind of want like it's unauthorized. Well, no, I mean they may have, but what I'm saying is like seven or eight people have over the years. Okay. And I don't know whether this Oh, this could be one of them. This I'm sure is. And I but this is kind of new to me. Like I don't I this is astonishing. Is it flattering? Is it creepy? What how do you react? Cuz there's I mean I'm just giving you a taste of of this. But I mean, just looking at the, just looking in June, at it, in we, June of 2015, John's daughter got her tonsils out to make her feel more comfortable. The nurse at the hospital asked her if she would like to watch frozen on the iPad. She's fascinated by frozen, although she had never seen it. 
She was singing this one line incorrectly over and over, like, let it go, let it go, I can't hold it back anymore. When John started to sing it, she would tell him to stop and start singing her version again. Roderick on the Line, episode 159. I mean, it's a very small vignette. Uh-huh. Um, but it actually, I mean, what's... Like that happened. Yeah, but and, and recording it, like at first, I'm thinking someone has taken stories and they've broken it into facts <laughs> and why would you? But in fact, that's an illustrative story uh, in the way they report it because it, it talks about her relationship to frozen, which was a major feature right. of about a year and a half of her life. Uh-huh. <laughs> and it talks about the fact that it was a major feature despite never having seen it. Like, like the, the, the joke that was in that original story, the reason it was told, did make it into that this sort of reporting, you know, this uh, this telegraphic style that this website is written in. Right. You know, it's written very telegraphically. It's not there. There. It's not florid language. It's it's written. It's trying to be. It's almost like per- a like a not a court reporter would write it, but it's, it's very, very matter of fact. Yeah. Yeah. Matter of fact. That's a good. That's a good term. Um. Oh, anyway, so this seems like something that has been – this would take a long time to work on. Yes. So if whoever built this did contact me, they may have done it a long time ago. I'm surprised that I haven't – that it hasn't landed in my lap before. So so – which says to me that they have been fairly careful about not trying to push it on me. You know what I mean? Like if, if somebody had been writing me every two weeks going, Hey, I'm still working on that thing. Hey, have you checked out my thing? (laughs) Yeah. Which happens all the time. You know, I would have been aware of it and would have gone to look at it. Eventually I would have been like, Oh, what is your thing? What are you doing? But this person has not done that. And I, and it does read like the work of a single person, although it's a wiki, like the, the syntax is, it's very similar, at least in the couple of paragraphs. I've been right. From, from the sort of FBI profiling standpoint, I would say it's a single author. <clears throat> and also like, I don't know that they're, they're, they have an articulate command of English. Yeah. But there's a, there's a little tinge of it that, you of, know, that foreign, suggests, foreignness. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. That suggests that it's written by someone who is extremely good in English, but maybe that wasn't their first language. Right. Um, I picked up on that also. Yeah. And it's not, it's not that anything is, it's not anything in English is used incorrectly, but just a, a kind of like um, cadence, a, a language cadence that, that feels European. Um, in answer to your question, I mean, this is the type of thing that people on the internet do <laughs> well that, but I mean like, like I was, th- I, I went to see my friends, not a surf play last night. Oh, nice. And uh, it was the 15 year anniversary of their record. Let go, uh, which is their, you know, kind of their breakout indie record. It was the first one on Barsook, which is our record label that we have, you know, our mutual record label. And, you know, I had this kind of moment where I realized that, my whole culture as an adult and as a musician uh, happened within 
<clears throat> the middle range of like, I'm not really friends with none of us were, were big stars, right? Everybody right. was just a kind of like middle star. And the biggest band of our group that went anywhere was death cab for cutie. Uh, but in the, you know, in terms of like all the pop stars of the two thousands, you know, death cab for cutie isn't like they never were huge. I mean, they're, they're a huge band by any, by any reckoning, but they never had a number one song or they never had, they never were like on, on everyone's lips for a year. You right, know, they sure. never won a Grammy. Like Portugal, the man right now is going through this experience where they have an explosive single. That's just the strength of one single is carrying them around the world. Right. And that's something that, I mean, I guess the presidents of the USA had that in the early nineties. Um, yeah, they had, they, a, they had a few songs that I think everyone still kind of knows. Yeah. Big hits that, that, um, you like know, my kids know like them. a wall of platinum records in Jason Finn's bathroom. <laughs> but you know, typically, typically my friends are all in that world of like, can sell out a theater. Right. Um, and that's, you know, and that's true also of the friends that I made outside of Seattle, like Hodgman can sell out a theater. Mm -hmm. Jonathan Colton can sell out a theater. Like nobody is, nobody has a, um, nobody's mammoth, you know? Um, I think Jonathan Colton was just nominated for a Tony award. And if he wins a Tony, that will be like, um, that'll be a major event in my whole friend group. Just like, wow. Okay. Somebody won a Tony award. Like, I mean, John Flansburg has a Grammy has a couple of Grammy awards, I guess. Uh, Amy Mann just won one. Like, so there are, there are some worse. There are some award winners here in my gang, but mm -hmm. not, you know, no Oscars. No, I don't know. It, it, it just felt like last night, like, oh wow. It's like, that's right. My, my, my culture, my society is this, is this like, it's in this comfortable middle place where, where people can check into hotel rooms under their own name and nobody like traveling with Amy Mann. Sometimes there are fans that, uh, I don't know. No one's ever really waiting outside the hotel. You know, there are people that want to talk to her, but not, there's no like people who make her life uncomfortable. Mm -hmm. Nobody's waiting for, any of us really outside of a hotel. Right. And that seems to be, I mean, while when Ben Gibbard was married to Zoe Deschanel, there are people waiting outside of hotels for Zoe mm -hmm. and she's really good at dealing with them, but it did, it does create it. And when they were married, I saw it firsthand that it did create in them as a couple, a kind of like we check into hotels under the names, Annie Oakley and wild Bill Hickok. Right. Sure. Uh, just because that's the type of thing you don't want. You don't want somebody waiting for you in the hotel if that, if, if you have that kind of fan. Right. During the Harvey danger years, Sean Nelson had a, you know, a lot of people use the word stalker or talk about stalkers. I have a stalker that that's my stalker or whatever. Stalkers, stalkers. Mm -hmm. Most of those are not stalkers. They're just over enthusiastic fans who don't, know where the boundaries are. 
Sean had a legitimately scary stalker who, um, who believed she was married to Sean. And when you, that's what they always seem to think like that. They're, it's not like, Oh, I I just want to meet this person. I'm obsessed with them. I have to meet them. They actually have a a whole fantastic world and story that they're, they're actually married. And yeah. And what was horrifying about this was when she was confronted finally, um, by Sean's wife, I mean, not directly, but like when she was confronted with the fact of Sean's wife, like here is the, here is who Sean is actually married to. Please cease and desist. She said, Oh, I'm married to dead Sean. Oh no. And it, and that was the moment where everybody just got really cold, uh, in their fingers. And, and you realize like, Oh, you know, Sean's Sean is famous over the line there. Right. They, they, they had a big hit and this is a different brand of thing from, um, from somebody who just comes to your shows and wants you to sign things. This is like somebody who doesn't, who's like maybe dangerous. I mean, who knows? You can't, you can't say for sure. What happened was Sean finally, um, I think, you know, yelled at her and was rude to her and made her feel bad every time he saw her. And then she transferred her fandom to me (laughs) and for, (laughs) and he was fine with that. And for, of course course he was. Oh yeah. He was just like, great. And so for several years she would show up and, you know, and, and she was never (laughs) married to dead John because dead John has more wives than, than live John. Uh, but, but her fandom for me was less passionate than for him. And, and, and partly because I think I was more accessible to her. Right. Sean was always a mystery to her. He always like was on a, on a higher plane, you know, striding past. Mm. And I would stop and talk to her and listen to her story. And she would give me little gifts that she'd made. And I accepted them graciously and she knew me. And so I wasn't this, um, I wasn't mythical. I was real. And so she didn't have to be married to dead me. She knew that she knew who actual me was and that we weren't married. Right. And eventually, you know, she moved on and I'm, I think she's probably running a fan site for some other band now, Viacondios. But anyway, <laughs> this is precisely the kind of thing that a lot of my friends would consider um, uh, what is it? Intrusive? And you use the word creepy. Yeah. Um, this is the type of thing that Merlin would be horrified by if a thing like oh, this Oh, yeah. No, this, this would him. shut everything down for him. He would never, you'd never hear from him again. Yeah. This, he's, he would be really, really bothered by this. Yeah. Um, this is the kind of thing that, you know, Hodgman doesn't like mm-hmm. uh, when this kind of attention is paid to his family. Um, and I, and a lot of people I know, I think are afraid of this would feel this way. Um, you know, in the early days of Twitter, I was looking at a picture last night of a bachelor party. I went to of some rock musicians and we went to a paintball thing and had a big paintball battle with each other. And at the end we all posed with our paintball rifles and I took a picture and I posted it on my Twitter account. And Mm -hmm. this is 
early on in my using Twitter back when all of these musicians were like, oh, yeah, you, I hear you're doing that Twitter thing. And I was like, yeah, it's fun. <laughs> you, you, know? you were like the, the, the technology guy compared to your peers. I was and I was and it, and they all thought it was funny like why would you even do that because it was back it was still in that transition um when musicians and artists didn't we didn't cor- communicate directly with fans it was that was absolutely what we didn't do you didn't go on your own message board and talk to fans right. unless you were a John Vanderslice or or a musician that did it specifically intentionally but m- we had all come up in a world where it was like the mystique was very important. You kept away. And so when I first was on Twitter, a lot of my um, musician friends just thought it was hilarious. Like, why are you on there? You're just like making jokes and stuff. Like, why would you do that? And then they started to watch and, and follow. And they were like, I love your Twitter. It's hilarious. Oh, I don't want a Twitter, you know, not for me. It'd be too weird. And, and they were because they were cultivating a mystique about themselves and they didn't want they didn't want to be on there just sending out tweets about uh, the the Mariners or, you know, like, oh, my drive to work was bad. You know, they, they, they didn't want to be perceived as normal and accessible. Right. And I, anyway, I posted a picture of this bachelor party and I got flack for it. Like, Hey, you know, why would you post that? That's like our private photo of our thing. And I was like, it's just like a photo of 25 people at a paintball thing. But yeah, there were like a handful of people in it that were that were notable. And so the that very fact made it a made it a photograph that was embargoed because they were notable people who were at leisure. You know, they weren't they didn't have their eyelashes on, right. you know. And so this was some kind of it was a little thing that we all had to work out like is it cool if Roderick posts pictures of us? that he takes when we are at the baseball game. And it's like, is it cool? Well, that was a, that was the language of the time. Now all these people are posting selfies of themselves constantly. You know, they all have social media accounts that they manage that have tens of thousands of followers. And they're like, check me out. You know, here I am with my dinner and here's a picture of my fucking dog. And you know, they they like got on board as everyone has. But at the time there was a, there was a, there were a couple of years where like I was out in front of, of my friends in terms of how much I thought it was okay to reveal. And I I think everybody that we know has gotten used to Roderick on the line and road work as places where I'm just telling all the stories Mm -hmm. and I change the names of people that I think would still be, I change the names if the story's unflattering or I change the names if it feels too intimate. But for the most part, I'm telling all the stories. And that's something that uh, most people wouldn't do, I don't think. But I made that decision a long time ago. Um, and I think I've described that decision-making process of like, you know, just just tell the stories and don't be precious and don't be um, like, there's no, there's no mystery. I don't think that 
I, 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 last night, some, somebody who's listened to the shows for a long time was like, you know, everybody always wonders like how many of your stories are real, but it doesn't even matter because, you know, they don't, they don't even have to be real. And I was like, no, fuck you. They're real. God damn it. Stop <laughs> it. You people with this, how much of them are real? Like they're 100% real. God, it's so annoying. <laughs> and he, and because that's uh, for eight years that that is offered to me as, as some kind of like, I'm such a fan that I don't even care how many of your stories are real. And I want to grab them by the shirt and I'm like, false. Your doubt about my stories is false. And you and your friends talking about how many of, how much of them it's real. They're all real jerks. I mean, you know, given a little bit of storytelling that happens, but yeah. The main, the main events actually took place is what you're saying. No, even the tiniest details are true. I've never, I've never doubted, never occurred to me that they wouldn't be true. Why, if you were going to make up stories, why would they be such dumb stories? So many dumb stories. Wouldn't the stories be like, then I was wheelie popping my motorcycle down Broadway during the Irish American parade. I mean, you'd, you'd want to wear a cape in every one of your stories, not just one of them. Yeah, right. I'd be, I'd be Matthew Broderick in Ferris Bueller. That's right. Every day. Right. Every damn day. That'd be you. Half of the time. I'm the goat of the story. Right. Right. Why it's not, it's a lot of the story? stories are not flattering to you in many ways. Yeah, right. Why wouldn't you make up a story where you were the goat? Anyway, so looking at this, <laughs> I have a, the part of me that, that comes from my school looks at it and says, oh dear, you know, that first, that first thought that, that if Merlin were sitting here with me, you know, like, oh shit. There's a lot of stuff on here about my kid and, mm-hmm. and it's all stuff I've said. And that, that whole time where I took great care not to mention her name sure, um, was based on this earlier idea of what it meant to, to maintain some privacy. Now, if you go to, uh, if you go look at the Instagram feed of busy Phillips, who is a, an actor in Los Angeles. She just got a talk show. As a matter of fact, it hasn't started. They haven't started making it yet, but she just got green lighted for a talk show. Mm. Uh, and she's a best known for uh, supporting roles on the television series, freaks and geeks and Dawson's Creek. That's right. Numerous films such as the smokers homeroom, white chicks Maid of honor. He's just not that into you and the gift. She also starred in the comedy series Cougar Town, for which she won Critics' Choice Television Award for Best Supporting Actress in a Comedy Series. There you go, Cougar Town. Uh, Busy is a absolutely delightful person, one of the best, and um, and she has an Instagram account where she talks, where she posts pictures of her daughters. Um, one of them is named Cricket, and one of them is named Birdie. Cute names. Birdie and Cricket and Birdie and Cricket are delightful. They're beautiful girls and Birdie is very much like the older sister who is a little bit impatient of her younger sister and is ready to be older and more sophisticated. She likes to dress like her mother. She kind of puts on a, um, she puts on a kind of a little bit of a self-important air. Um, and cricket is like 
irrepressible, just like her name suggests, um, and mischievous and very fun. You can just from photographs tell the family dynamic and how fun it is to be in that family, despite all of the difficulty in being any family. Because Busy is also just a you know dynamic person who's who's funny and self-aware, but also like very Hollywood living in Hollywood and very much like going to fancy parties and, and wearing big sunglasses. And, and she puts it all on this Instagram and she has, I don't know, a million Instagram followers. I mean, a lot, hundreds of thousands. And her Instagram account has become a, uh, it's a, it's a media property. Right. I mean, people go to her Instagram account and feel like a like a part of her gang. Right. And she. And, and it's and it's predicated on the fact that she names her kids and and I mean, shows them in their best light. It's not like she goes in and takes surprise photographs of them in the middle of the night. Like, look how fucking much gunk there is in their eyes like they. She, she celebrates her kids and she actually does a thing that I think a lot of people are do now, which is she takes pictures of herself without makeup on in the middle of the night and says, this is what I look like right now. Yeah, This is the, a very popular thing for people to do. And I think that's a, I think that's a, a wonderful way of demystifying. Yeah. It humanizes people. Yeah. And it also, the person who is doing the Instagramming, like in this case, busy Phillips may after a while feel like, God, every, you know, I'm feel responsible to be out there looking good all the time. And it takes some of the pressure off to say like, here I am also not looking good. And even though she always looks good, even in the middle of the night with pizza sauce all over. Right. Um, but it takes that pressure off too, which is just like, look, this is me warts and all. And so I'm not out trying to Kim Kardashian Kardashian myself. And I'm not like airbrushing pimples in order to present this sanitized version anyway so so looking at this in order for me to say that this is intrusive i would have to go back to the very beginning of what i have done in podcasting and reevaluate my whole approach because all this is is just what I've told the world. It's just collected and put into print for easy access. And whatever the motivation behind that, I mean, I can, I can, I can imagine the motivation. I'm somebody that goes and, and takes all my tie tax of which I have 800 <laughs> and rearrange them so that they're arranged in a way that makes sense to me architecturally. And knowing that I had a bucket of unarranged tie tacks somewhere nags at me until I go solve it, mm -hmm. you know, mm -hmm. uh, put that in its, in its place, in its matrix or in its matrices. Um, and so this seems like an expression of a similar kind of de desire to order information and, and order something that's important, uh, to the person. And I can't reevaluate my whole approach to podcasting. 
Like if I go back and say, would you do it all over again? Absolutely. I wouldn't take a, I wouldn't take a thing out because it's been really important to me and for me to be able to speak candidly and not have to sit and think, is this going to be entertaining? Is this going to make me look good? Is this going to, um, you know, should I, I hope I land this joke even, you know, like I, I've just been able to talk as my, as my mind comes, <laughs> comes online right. between, between the hours of 10 and 11 and, uh, in the morning as I, as I wake up. So too, do I do my stories come out? And, uh, <clears throat> so I look at this and I go, I hope that someone finds this useful so that the person who has built it feels like their work is valuable to other people because I do feel like this is also meant as a resource for others. Like it's a, it's a, it's a work that they're doing on behalf of people. And I, I just read at the very start here when you said that the, you go up to the top and it says the, story of John Roderick. I think I would, I would change that title. What would you have it be called? Well, it's not the story of, because it, because I, I'm not on a, I'm not on a quest, right? Like I, I'm not a, um, I'm not going to Jerusalem to, (laughs) to find the, the grail. Right. Um, it's their stories and, and they're part of the reason you would build a thing like this is that the stories are not connected crucially um, in, in, in the sense that there isn't a, there's not a, a single goal. There's a lot of contradictory goals. So the story of, I don't know, it feels a little bit like there should be a more in, encompassing title, but that's just me. But then it's, what would you, here, what would you suggest? Well, you know, that's when you write a, a magazine article or a newspaper article, it's the editor that chooses the title. And that's often frustrating for writers like the writer that came and interviewed Ken Jennings and me for the Seattle magazine. Mm -hmm. We had a wonderful afternoon. We talked and, and it was a great conversation and she wrote what I can only assume is a really, was a really good article. Um, and then the editor titled it, Ken Jennings has a new podcast or something like that. Right. And I can guarantee you that that's not, what she titled and that's not how she titled it. Right. But, this was a, this was the editor coming in and saying that yeah. I have a better idea or this is, you know, this is what will sell is, papers. Yeah. Right. My job is to read this for 10 minutes and then put a title on it that I think is going to get people to read it. And it's just like, and I'm sure she was like, eh, okay. I mean, when I was running for office and Uh, the first big article in the Seattle times about our campaign came out and, um, well, I was running against Tim Burgess and it said, um, that the headline was something like city councilman versus a rocker or a rocker, rocker challenges city councilman, Tim Burgess. And I was like offended by it. And unfortunately I mean, and I tweeted about it that morning. I was reading it in the bathtub and I was like, rocker, really? You can't do better than rocker. 
And I tweeted about it like, thanks a lot, Seattle Times. And unfortunately, at that point, a lot of people were monitoring my um, account. And Hodgman was like, this is outrageous. Oh, no. And and made a big stink. And it became like a news item for the day. Like the Seattle Times was replying to me and saying, this is standard practice. And I was like, I don't know, man. You know, like I just was. I was bent out of shape while I was eating a banana in the bathtub. I didn't mean it to become a, because then people piled on, right? They were like, uh, they were yelling at the Seattle times all afternoon and it felt like you did. And you, that was not your intention. No, I didn't want to unleash the dogs on them. If I did, you know, if I wanted to unleash Hodgman on, on people, I would, I would hope that I would have a, something to really unleash him on. Cause he can be a, a pit bull when he goes. And that just, that was just funny. I mean, I cut that. I cut that out. It's around here somewhere. Um, oh, but anyway, on this this first page, this story of, um, it says, you know, like uh, it, it, it's clear. I think in this in this paragraph, and it's a very short paragraph explaining w- what it is, why it's being built, and this is another thing where, if if this if this page. That starts this wiki is a structured compilation of all the fascinating stories. Mm-hmm. If this page was 11 paragraphs long, while the person that was building this described in, in detail, like all of themselves, you know, their motivation, who they were and what they were trying to accomplish, that would kind of, that would color the thing, right? Because you would feel like, oh, this is somebody who's, trying to make this about themselves. Right. Right. This is, this is all about the subject matter. Yeah. Right. Let that speak for itself. People have gone in and edited my Wikipedia account and they write, they've written like big paragraphs where it was, where they were trying to also display their fandom or their, their intimate knowledge or they, that they got that they were in on the joke and stuff. Right. And that stuff gets combed out of Wikipedia pretty fast. Um, but there's none of that in this. This person does not intrude on what they perceive to be the, the subject matter. But it does say right down here, I'm not currently looking for contributions, but feel free to contact the website owner for feedback about the usefulness of this site or about factual mistakes. So that's the only time... Right, I mean, right in here, there are only maybe two instances where the personal pronoun I appears. Mm. I try to keep up with the current events on his regular podcast, and I am not currently looking for contributions. Otherwise, the the person behind it is invisible. Um, oh, okay. Down here under other resources, there's mm-hmm. this Roderick on the Line listening guide by Brett Chalupa. And Brett has contacted me <laughs> over the years. And this is another thing that is like, um, it's kind of an, a, 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 it's meant to be a index. And I should also in the course of this point out that the long winters have a library that was compiled and maintained 
Excuse me. <coughs> Excuse me. Oh, boy. Bless you. Well, I thought that out. I almost never sneeze on the show. Um, there is uh, at the longwinterslibrary.com mm-hmm. a, uh, a library and an archive. Oh, wait. Oh, wait. There's, now there's over here. It says the new library site. This is at new.thelongwinterslibrary.com. I'll add it to the show notes. Um, this was uh, this was compiled and maintained by a woman named Lisbeth in Utrecht, Netherlands, who was an early fan of the band and a longtime like supporter and fan of the band. And she has every as far as I can tell, every show we ever played. Oh, wow. She made a, she made an attempt to get every show and not only every show, but the name of the venue, the location of the show, you know, the city, um, the other bands that were on the show. And also if there was anything interesting that happened, you know, whether it was like a debut or whether it was, a you know, who was in the band and so forth. Um, and, and it ended up being a, it ended up being a resource for us. I mean, we, we go and say, oh yeah, when was that show? And it's, and it's (laughs) right. (laughs) Um, but she also has, you know, she's compiled for the most part. I mean, she started a long time ago. Uh, and I don't think like, I don't think she maintains it still from what it looks like here in the reading room. Like the last things that were added were in 2013, but, but she has all the magazine articles and interviews and, um, reviews. I mean, not, not, I don't think like at down to the level of, you know, the Oklahoma city weekly paper gave the, gave the record five stars, but like the indie rock blog has talking guitar shop with John Roderick of the long winters. Hmm. And here's like, Oh, what is the Sasha Frere Jones? Oh, so Sasha Frere Jones, um, and I talked at an event and he wrote about it in the New Yorker. He describes me as a tall man with long copper hair. I did have long hair. It copper. May, it may even in a certain light have seemed copper. <clears throat> I mean, you know, when it's long, it kind of gets, it's, it doesn't get reddish, but you know, it's, it's hard to tell what color my hair is. Right. Sure. A, a tall man with long copper hair, a bushy beard, a missing front tooth and a resonant voice that could easily be heard anywhere in the hall without amplification. I love that. See, that's all complimentary. In his banter with comedians and writers of all ages, Roderick was funny and generous. Well, this is nice. I don't think I've ever read this. How nice that Sash Ferrer Jones thought I was funny and generous. Um, oh, so it's a nice, like, uh, so I, anyway, this is the type of thing where if I allow myself to go to these things, I can get lost in them, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, I was just reading that article. I was like, oh, that's nice. And I don't know whether... I don't know whether she also has things in here that are like, I don't like this band, but she does have articles in Dutch. 
if anyone listening speaks Dutch, there because she is from the Netherlands, she also included uh, Dutch stuff. Oh wow! And then here's Sean's tour diaries from 2003. Very cool. Uh, so, so this type of thing has happened before. Um, and and I have to say that certainly the Long Winners Library and Archive I thought was flattering and also it turned out to be a good resource. And I feel like this wiki, you know, I, Are you conflicted on it? It gets to what we've talked about a lot, which is like, what's the point? What's the point of all this? What's the point of anything? But, but also like, I know the point of podcasting and I know that people listen to the show and it has a, it has a lot of different Meaning, I think there are people for whom the show has a lot of importance. I think there are people who enjoy the show, but wouldn't necessarily say that it had a lot of importance. You know, there are plenty of people that listen to the show and are just like, I just like listening to your show, but it's not like it's, um, you know, I don't rank it up there with Stendhal, in <laughs> the, the works of the, you know, uh, of the West. Right. Sure. Um, but it's important to me. You know, it's important to us, to you and me, this thing that we're making. Yeah. And I, you know, and I think that um, Merlin and I are both proud of that show and the shows that I'm doing now. I mean, the show I do with Ken, he and I are both very proud of it, mm -hmm. you know, and the, and Friendly Fire, the three of us like are very proud of it. And, and that I guess is um, when we talk about happiness, one thing that we never really talk about is like, are you proud of what you've made? And I do struggle with being proud of my music or my um, creations. And it's, I don't think that I'm not proud of them. I just struggle with how to feel that, how to, how to uh, feel proud of that and translate that, into into good feelings about myself. Um, but with the podcast that I've made, there's none of it I'm not proud of. Even the dullest show, even the ones that just kind of limp along. I'm just, I'm, I, I never am ashamed of them. And not only not, not only am I not ever ashamed of them, but I'm always, I always feel like it's better that that, that we did that than it would have been if we hadn't. And it's strange to watch these new shows evolve with, because, you know, you've done a million podcasts. Merlin had done a bunch before we started and has subsequently done a bunch. You guys are podcasters. Right. And so you know what we're doing. And I was the noob um, in both of those relationships. And, and I feel like, you know, we were discovering what it was, but I was always like, like, wow, no kidding. You, this is, you know, you, this happens also, but watching it with these new shows, 
I mean, Ken has never done a podcast. And Adam and Ben have their podcast about Star Trek, but they're still pretty new into it. And the and the that that same feeling they have about like, wow, you know, this is this is it's definitely work and it's difficult to be good at, but it's so gratifying. And um and you feel so good about what you're making. And I can't, you know, I can't imagine, I don't, I don't think that's probably true for everyone because it is a, it is a certain, it's a certain thing. Like, can you, can you throw a baseball, right? Can you do a podcast? Not everyone can throw a baseball. Right. Um, so a thing like this, the only conflict I feel about it is Um, it has to do with like trying to imagine what is useful about all of this down the road. Like it's useful in terms of, you know, being a place where people who listen kind of feel a respite and maybe a, uh, like a thoughtful place or a place where they're kind of thinking about their own responses to things. And, and, um, it's a place where, because it's in headphones most of the time, the, the intimacy of the stuff we talk about and the, it, it provides kind of maybe an opportunity to be, to have those intimate thoughts about one's own self. Sure. But like the stories like whether or not David Brust was a good guy or a bad guy, whether or not Kelly Kiefer went out with David Brust just to get my goat or because he was handsome and also to get my goat. Hmm. And I just read that here in John's girlfriends. And that's a pretty funny, like the person writing this got the joke, but wrote it very matter of factly. And so that's, that is really interesting to me. Like took the, took all the, the, um, lol out of the joke, but absolutely got the joke. And it does transmit in the, in this, um, ratatat style. Mm -hmm. So, you know, like that's impressive, I think, but whether or not that, like, let me, let me think like it, do I imagine a future world in which other sources, other people that David Brust has met in his life have also recorded their thoughts about him and he is working in a natural pantry somewhere trying to sell people on, uh, on like creamy nut butter <laughs> and somewhere on the internet, there's a thing where all of the, there's a, a, some kind of bot that has gathered together every reference to David Brust and put them all in a place. Yeah. And that is, yeah. That is somehow how we interact with David Brust. Like, I don't want, there are a lot of people I think in the world, myself included, who maybe don't want all of that. Like if, if you're going in for a job interview, you don't want the person to be able to just type a few words and pull up a thing where somebody who went to high school with you is like, that guy's a jerk, you know, like, but is that, 
that's kind of like a black mirror episode, right? Where all those little stories about you end up giving you like a 4.1 rating. Right. Right. Because like, I, I want my world, this world that we're creating here to interact with the larger world. And yet I also want to, I also want it to be a complete world, like a, like an enclosed world that makes sense internally. And so this stuff where it's like the, the girlfriend that smokes and the girlfriend (laughs) with dogs and the, you know, and some of those girlfriends are the same. Like there are a couple of them that are like, Oh, that, that girl and that girl are the same girl. But I was careful as I was telling the story to, to not at the, at that time when I recorded those episodes, I was careful not to reveal too much about it because I was telling a specific story rather than, trying to trying to tell the story of this like person. an overall narrative of a person. Yeah. Like, right. like, like millennium girlfriend. Um, I never have, I've never done an episode where I just talked about her and our relationship from start to finish. And among my friends, my close friends, like they come sit on the couch and I will talk about her for two and a half hours and tell, you know, and give my impression, my, my version of the scope of our whole relationship and what I conclude from it and all this stuff. But I would never do that on, on our show because it's too intimate. It's too personal. It wouldn't be fair. You know, it wouldn't be fair to her because she doesn't have, uh, she doesn't have a platform where she could say like, well, here's my side of the story. Like a couple of years ago, or maybe was it last year? Maybe it was just last year. Hold on. I'll, the, I'll look it up on your Wikipedia. I went to the XOXO festival and gave a long talk and had an enjoyable time. And, uh, and I'm proud of that talk. But then, then maybe later on that night, um, I was at an, I was at another talk and they had a question and answer period. And I had a comment rather than a question. And so I waited until the question and answer period was over. And then I kind of stepped up and as the last person who had asked a question was kind of looking for a place to put the microphone, I kind of, you know, <laughs> stepped up and, and was like, here, I'll take that. And, right. took the microphone. and I said, <laughs> sure. Hey, I'm, you know, like, Hey, you guys, sorry to like jump in here right at the end. And everybody kind of turned and I, and you know, and I was thinking like, I'm a presenter at this event. Everybody I presumed recognized me as one of the, one of the presenters, not just a punter. And I was like, I just have a funny anecdote about exactly the thing you're talking about. Cause they were talking about music publishing and I, and I told this little anecdote about music publishing and I feel like it was greeted with a little bit of like, Oh, okay. Well, thank you for the anecdote. You know, it wasn't <laughs> like I didn't, succeed. not you not your intention. Yeah. I didn't succeed in, in like, wowing everybody with my anecdote. I just had this story that I, that I wanted to share. And because I was a, because I had already been on that stage once earlier and those cons, like they feel like it's hard, you know, like the Joko cruise is a type of thing where all of the performers are jumping up on stage with each other all the time. And 
and it's kind of part of the gag and you know where the line is. You don't run out in the middle of somebody's thing and drop your pants. But when there's an opportunity to kind of like Statler and Waldorf somebody, you take it. And that's true in rock and roll too. I mean, you don't run out in the middle of somebody's song if you're not invited, but, but there are times in a show where you peek your head out from backstage and go, Hey everybody. Or, you know, like it's, it's, show business can be pretty loose and pretty fun if you let it. Anyway, I walked back to my seat and a woman in the audience jumped up and was like, how dare you? And I was like, what are you talking about? And she was like, that's not, you know, like, and, and she dressed me down in the aisle in this theater. And what her point was, was that I had unexamined privilege and that I had, white mailed the moment Mm. and had grabbed the microphone, um, covered in a, in a honey bath of entitlement and had told my story (laughs) in a way that (laughs) it was that um, your term or hers. No, that was my turn. Uh, but she's hissing this at me that I had interrupted, uh, this thing. And, and what offended her is that she is, you know, she's just, every day has is stewing in this state of constant, um, like barely suppressed fury at the idea that there are men like me in the world who are just waltzing in and pushing women and people of color aside in order to tell their dumb anecdote and then waltzing off into the sunset blissfully unaware at the, you know, at the, trail of dead bodies they leave in their wake these you know these white men that are just wreaking so much havoc and evil in the world and i was like i just you know like i'm one of the presenters i've you know and 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 in in all truthfulness like it was i did the anecdote was not necessary and and it was, and I got it in there and it was not in, it was not greeted in the room with the kind of like, ah, artful interjection, sir, that I'm kind of used to. <laughs> and it was, I think in large part that the, that the community at XOXO and the, the tone of the shows there and the, the tone of the whole gathering is just different. It's a different thing than what it isn't show business. It's a different kind of thing. And it's one where there are rules that I don't fully understand about rules of conduct, you know, that are meant not only to be inclusive, but also to be exclusive of certain kinds of people and kinds of behavior, right? You apply to go to it and you don't, you know, you don't, um, you go there like presuming, things about the world. And so within the context of the, of that, like my getting up with that microphone and saying, Hey, I've got a little like one minute long anecdote, you know, was greeted in the room. as kind of like, okay, all right, thanks. You know, it's, it's not a group of people that jump up and like improv stuff. Right. But, but she's standing in the aisle and now like fully interrupting the show for the, 80 people that are sitting right around us as she takes it upon herself to like really discipline me 
for what uh, for things that she wasn't fully articulating, but what I presumed to be all these transgressions against against these new norms that she felt she was a guardian of. And I talked about it on Roderick on the line. And as I'm talking about it now, and I heard, uh, I heard from the XOXO people that, I mean, and it created a little bit of a brouhaha because there were people that listened to the show that were at the event. There were people listening to the show that knew the people involved. You know, it's like, it's a small world we live in. Yeah, very. But the guys from XOXO contacted me and said, you know, and one of their major concerns was that I had this platform to talk about things that had an audience and there wasn't an opportunity for there for any kind of like response from any other camp. You know, she wouldn't have equal time. Um, even if she had a podcast right. to explain her behavior. And, you know, and my response was like, well, I mean, that's what happens when you're in the world and you do things. And sometimes, <laughs> sometimes you're, you know, you are an entitled jerk to someone that has a podcast. And sometimes you're not, you know, sometimes you get away with that type of thing. Sometimes so, I think she was expecting that I would apologize to everyone or that, you know, that I would hand her my wallet. I don't know what she expected. Um, but every once in a while, you know, you, you get into a road rage incident with somebody that is a policeman or you get into a, you get into an encounter with somebody that has a podcast, but you know, I didn't name her, but it was an example of this kind of the power of someone that has a greater reach. And also, you know, people listen to my show are, they know me, they are inclined, I think to, either they're they're at least inclined to take my side of things into consideration but i wouldn't do that to someone i try not to do that to someone who i'm intimate with like i talk about my daughter's mother all the time she's one of the closest people in my life but i don't sit and uh dissect her on this show because it's not the legacy I want to leave. You know, she doesn't yeah. have, she doesn't have a show and this would be, you know, I, I haven't looked at any of her appearances on the story of John Roderick.com. <laughs> right. Dot, dot wiki dot. Right. Right. But I'm sure she's here and this now exists. Um, and presumably isn't going to, isn't going to go away. And so do I want, do I want my daughter to read a, to, to read my thoughts about her mother in 20 years when she finds this? No, I, I and the thing is, is I wouldn't, I don't, I, I haven't kept it out of the show because I was afraid of this. I, I kept it out of the show because it's not, um, that's not my right to do. So all the stories I tell are anecdotes they're like, and they kind of, it's not that they could be about anyone. They're meant to give a picture mm -hmm. of these people, but they're not, they're not meant to be definitive, you know, um, they're meant to be, 
they're part of a, a they're part of a story within the context of that story. Right, and they're meant to give a they're meant to give a picture, a kind of picture uh, of like what it is to be human that is supposed to be. I think everything we've ever done is is meant to be a relief to people. This show is meant to be a relief. You listen to it and you go, you know, hopefully primarily you feel like, oh, I'm not alone. I also do that dumb thing. Mm -hmm. And the dumb thing that he does that I don't do is funny to me because look at that dummy who's doing that thing that I definitely don't do. That seems really funny. And then the thing that I do that you do do, you're like, oh, wow. And in some cases, it's it's really like uh, because people write me, you know, and they say I never I never thought of it that way, but I absolutely do that. And that, you know, that's the part where we say like, oh, we're helping. But if the helping is, is I think, 100 percent meant to be a relief, like um, an opportunity to think about stuff, but also like to feel less alone and the anecdotes fulfill that because all those humorous anecdotes they're, they're they're largely true for everybody like everybody has these same foibles we all we all dip our shirt cuffs in in our soup and i mean not all of us have fan sourced wiki dots about right us. sure but um but we could we we all could and um and if we did they would if this wiki was cross referenced with a similar wiki that had been built about any one of my friends uh it would make a larger web a super fascinating larger web of detail and um that i think would be exponentially more helpful there's a weird thing called the seattle band map have you mm-hmm. ever seen this no i have not the seattle band map is a crowdsourced graphic i'm looking and it up i think there are i see it now lots of them uh people have tried multiple times to do a seattle band map because the bands in Seattle are so interconnected to one another. Um, and it was the type of thing, again, that somebody felt like architecturally they needed a resource to tell how many different members of the Halo Benders had played in, in other sub-pop bands. Um, and... And it, and it, it, the, the creators of it and the people that utilize it really did see a need for it. Now there are looking at it now, Seattle band map. I am like freaking out at how many different Seattle band maps there are, but there's one, the one I'm talking about specifically, I think is is it at the EMP? It's interactive, right? It's not, it's not a hand drawn thing. It's, it's at, uh, Seattlebandmap.com. 
There's one at uh, datavisualization.ch. All right. Uh, and that, oh, it is seattlebandmap.com. Okay. That's the one. That's the one. We would like to say thank you very much to Squarespace. What can you do with Squarespace? You can turn your cool idea into a new website. You can showcase your work. You can blog or publish content. You can sell products and services of all kinds. Heck, you can promote your physical or online business. You can do it all with Squarespace. I know people that are using this site to sell stuff. I have a friend who repairs and services vintage watches, and its whole business of selling these vintage watches is done very easily on Squarespace. I know people that are using it to announce their upcoming wedding, their birth of their child, post their image galleries. I know some photographers that use Squarespace for everything that they do. Beautiful templates that are created by world-class designers, powerful e-commerce, like I mentioned, is built in. And you can customize the look, the feel, the way the whole site is organized and how it works with just a few clicks. You don't need to know anything about coding or HTML or CSS or any of that. Now you can even get domains at Squarespace. They have over 200 domain name extensions that you can get when you're setting up your new site. Or even if you don't feel like setting up a new site, you just want a domain name, go there and get one. Built-in analytics, show you how your site's growing in real time. Built-in SEO. Again, the the whole built-in thing, yeah, that's what they're all about. You have nothing that you ever need to patch or upgrade ever. And if you ever need help, they have 24-7 award-winning customer support So go out there and make it yourself and make it stand out with a beautiful website from Squarespace. And they have something special just for our listeners. Go to squarespace.com slash roadwork. Just visiting that site with that special URL will support the show. It'll let them know that you're listening. But when you're ready to launch, use the offer code roadwork, one word, and you'll save 10% off your first uh, purchase of a website or domain. So again, the URL to go to Support the show and learn more is squarespace.com slash roadwork. And when you're ready to go, use the offer code roadwork and that'll get you that 10%. Even if you just want a domain, go check it out. Check out what they have to offer when you're ready for a website. Yeah, go to Squarespace. Use that code roadwork. Thanks to Squarespace for supporting this program. Yeah, you can you can type in, I, I typed in the long winners and it found you and then you can zoom in and out like a Google map almost. Right. Um, and once you find a band, then you go and you see like all of the bands that they're connected to and the, all those lines kind of go, go spider webbing out. Um, and bands that have a lot of connections have big dots and bands that have fewer connections have little dots, but there's no huge dot, right? Like, um, the biggest dot like Nirvana's dot is bigger than the long winters, but not, not commensurate with their record sales Mm -hmm. because Nirvana has a lot of connections, but, but they're not like renowned for the fact that Kurt played in 25 bands. Whereas the long winters have people coming in and out all the time. And a lot of, uh, a lot of different players, so we're connected to a ton of bands. But what's funny about this is because it's crowdsourced, you also get, you know, like if you just go to the biggest dots, it's like, okay, Long Winters. Now you go to the next big dot. It's Visqueen, who are, you know, Rachel has been in a thousand bands. 
there's a big dot. Bill Patton and the Credentials. Now, that's not a big band, but Bill Patton has played with 20 bands. Uh, Earth. Now, they're like a famous band that has had a lot of different people in it. Fleet Foxes, Red Stars Theory, they've had a lot of different Murder City Devils people in and out. But then you get kind of over here and there are bands that you've never heard of and you realize, oh, it's crowdsourced. So whoever the people were in the band um, like – you know, teen of turquoise or whatever, their fans and their friends went on here and connected them to all their friends' bands. And so you have these, you have these bands that seem artificially important because they're a member of a community and everyone in that groups like self reinforced the importance of everyone else by by making all these interconnections and pretty soon it seems like, wow, who are these people? And it's just a bunch of people that are good on the internet basically, or who understood how these things work. And they're, you know, they're out here like one of the biggest circles, um, is for a band called the unnatural helpers. (laughs) And I've heard of the unnatural helpers. Um, but, they're like one of the one of the largest, most connected circles in the Seattle music scene, but according to this map. And l- then reading down the bands that they're connected to, Charles Leo Gebhard the Fourth, Consignment, Double Fudge, Honey for the Bears, Idle Times, um, Kelly Stoltz, I know, Kinski, right, is a big Seattle band, Love Machine, New Fangs, Ninja Boners. Rat Fancy, <laughs> Rotten Apples, Rude Al Skankovic, <laughs> Scraps, Sorry. I mean, like, you know, these are a lot of bands, um, but not, you know, and then there are, ba- there are like legit Seattle bands like the Duchess and the Duke and the Intelligence and the Girls and the Lights. Like, those are all. Seattle bands that, that were rock and roll bands, Valentine killers. But the interconnectedness is what matters on this. And so the unnatural helpers are like at the center of a whole constellation of, of bands that are also like similarly large, like the Uzi rash groups have a dot as big as, the shins and like, I don't know, maybe the Uzi rash groups are like really big right now, (laughs) but I don't think so. Or I mean, I don't think that they're as big as the shins and that is, you know, just one of those, one of those things. And I'm sure that Charles Leo Gebhard, the fourth is somebody who's played in a lot of different bands. Uh, and maybe I even know him. I might even know Chuck Gebhardt and I just don't know him by that name and he might even be listening to the show. So Charles, I did not mean at all to disparage you, but only to say that this kind of crowdsourced thing, it depends. You, you have to look at it with, 
you have to have a certain amount of wisdom to utilize it properly, right? Like if you, if you just go into it like a unawares, you could go, you could go onto this thing and say like, well, the biggest band in Seattle is the, the Uzi snots, the Uzi snot cups or whatever, and be misled. And I feel like maybe that is, you know, also sort of deeply true about anything crowdsourced. I want this John Roderick dot wiki dot dot com to open itself up to like any, anyone can come in and contribute or I will. Yeah. I want it to be a wiki and I, 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 I understand why the person that's built it does not want other people editing it because it's so comprehensive and it's so like singularly made that I don't want, I'm sure he doesn't, he or she, uh, doesn't want to argue with other fans about this and that, you know, they don't want their clean prose muddied by somebody else's dirty prose. Um, there, you know, like the, the, the way the humor is in this indicates that the, that the person gets the joke and doesn't want to make themselves part of the joke. And that's often the problem with this crowdsource stuff is that the person gets the joke and then they also want to be in on the joke. Mm -hmm. And this person gets the joke and is like, here's the joke moving right along. Uh, so I get that, but there's a lot of, you know, what, what they're not allowing is that there are a lot of other people with other who, who, who have, um, like explications of this there, you know, like, or, or, or maybe most importantly, like the ability to hyperlink effectively to outside sources or to other entries, you know, that's what makes it interesting and interactive. It's just like, Oh yeah, here's like the girl with the cigarettes and the girl. I mean, the, and I guess part of this is that I should probably go in there and say like, these are the same people. Um, or maybe I shouldn't, you know, I, and I don't know what my responsibility would be. A person, a person wrote me a couple of days ago and said, my daughter wants to know what blue diamonds is about. They they live in New Zealand. And I said, I don't think your daughter wants to know what Blue Diamonds is about. No, no, no. She really does. We're trying to figure out like who the tall chicken is and why he's for sale. <laughs> and that's a line that uh, I've been asked about a lot over the years. You explained it. I, I was CC'd on this email. Yeah. And I didn't know any of that. No, and no one would because it is not, it's a classic example of like, I have the, I have all these black backstories for all my songs and it's n just not evident at all. And so I wrote this reply about what Blue Diamonds is about. And it reminded me, I, I have been threatening for 15 years to, to do that, to write the backstories of all the songs and put them somewhere so that, um, if you want to know what blue diamonds is about. I mean, I recommend that you, that you don't go read it because, because it is crazy what it's really about. 
Um, but if you do want to, it's, it's there. And I'm not sure, I'm, I'm not sure I can think of a, of an example of another songwriter that has gone and then written a, um, encyclopedia entries for each of their songs, connecting them to other stories and so forth. And I'm not sure whether that is that I feel like there's certain group of people that would think that that was useful, but I'm not sure what my responsibility as an artist is to my own songs to not do that to them. Mm -hmm. Um, and I, and I guess I've been wrestling with that for 15 years, like, like whether to share it or not. Well, yeah, because people don't. Like, do, you, do you feel that it somehow diminishes the song itself if you remove the mystery of it? Like explaining a joke to somebody takes away the humor of the joke. Maybe we come. I mean, this is maybe part of my upbringing as a musician. Like we came from a time when you maintained that aura of mystery, and the songs spoke for themselves. Right. Like you, maybe and, you, maybe there were liner notes with lyrics and that was the most you were going to get. Right. And, and some of that I, I think is, is like artists are very self-protective and they're afraid, um, that what their song, what, whatever their songs were about would be revealed. They don't want to say like every song on this record is about this one girl. And the reason is that, she broke my heart and this is the breakup record or, you know, you, you get that feeling like, Oh, uh, Beyonce's last record is this, is this record about her marriage. Lemonade is all about her catching Jay-Z cheating on her. Um, and if you, if you overlay that on that album and listen to it through those ears, the songs do, fulfill it or I mean you can hear them in a different light you listen to, to um, what is it what is it called like uh, daddy lessons in the light of thinking about Jay-Z cheating on her and you're like whoa that song really like kapow but that song would kapow whether it had that overlay or not and and making it specific to their marriage takes some of the power of it as just an anthem away. Like you don't, uh, there, there are, there are some songs in Aretha Franklin's catalog that you can tie to certain things, but for the most part, the songs just exist and you, I mean, I guess that's, uh, that's, I guess throughout the history of popular music, there's a, there's always some tension there, like sitting on the dock of the bay. Like we all kind of know where that's, where that song came from and what it's talking about as opposed to like, um, bet you think this song is about you. You're so vain. <laughs> Everybody's dying to know who that song's about and she's never fully revealed it. And I suppose like we're an American band doesn't have a ton of mystery about what it's about. <laughs> yeah. It's about them being an American band. I don't know. It's, uh, I mean, you know that if I took that email that I sent to that guy and just put it somewhere on the, on the long winners page, I think 
it would suffice as an as a description of that tune. Maybe I'll work on that. I'll work on it and see. I'll I'll run it by you, Dan, after I've written it up, and then you can tell me whether you think we should put it on liner. <laughs> I mean, you know, I, I I like the idea of the mystery. I like the idea that in a in a way, if it's not. You know, and this is the same thing you get with like movie writers or directors who are like, or TV show ones who are like, I'm not explaining the ending of the show. It's whatever it means to you. Um, and whenever they do that, you're like, wow, what an ass that guy is. Why not just explain it? Because like clearly you know, and it's almost like, like they're, they're, they're laughing at you. Well, if you didn't understand it, I'm not going to explain it. What an idiot. And really all you want is like, there is a story. I like it and I think I would like it better if I understood it. If I, because clearly I'm so dumb that I can't figure it out on my own or, or you just want to keep it a secret. And, and I guess I respect that, but also that's dumb. Just share it. It's been, you know, I'm not saying you in this situation, but I'm I'm saying like, I understand where people are coming from. Like we've been, we've, you know, it's like, do you remember that book in the eighties by Kit Williams called Masquerade. And it was this amazingly illustrated story about a rabbit that lost some kind of jewel that it was given by the moon goddess or something. Hmm. Does this ring any bells to you? Mm-mm. Okay. So this was written by somebody in, in the UK and uh, they actually made this jewel this uh piece of jewelry they made it in real life and apparently there were clues throughout the whole book that explained like where the the thing was supposed to be it was hidden somewhere in somewhere in the uk i'll have to look up the the right history on this thing because i'm i'm only remembering some of the details and i was a kid when this happened and i was like i'm gonna figure this thing out of course i never figured it out and I don't know if anyone ever figured it out, but apparently the the jewel was eventually found by somebody who was like walking their dog and their dog like dug up a hole and found it or something like that, I think. Or or else there was some kind of conspiracy around it that the person actually knew Kit Williams's friend or daughter or you know something and they figured it out. But you know, it was like ha- after I was done reading this book, I was like, well, this sucks because like, I'll never be able to figure this out. And at some (laughs) point we want that, like we want to know the answer and it took years before the answer finally came out. And, uh, and I don't know, like you're not under any obligation to ever reveal anything. Um, it's your, it's your thing and people can either listen to it or not, but I don't know. I feel like when things are a little bit inscrutable, because I went back and listened to the song after I read your explanation of it. I was like, okay, yeah, no, now that makes sense, you know? Well, was it better or worse? For me, better. Uh-huh. Because I had wondered, like, what does that line mean? And I'm not the type of person, like, I don't understand it. I'm never listening to it again. But there is that, there is that little bit of feeling, like, I wish I just understood this. Because I think I would like it better. It doesn't kill the mystique for me. Maybe if I had read the description before I'd ever heard the song and not had that time to wonder, you know, but because I have had the time to wonder about it now that I kind of know, I'm like, Oh, oh, now there's a new dimension to the song. The song has unfolded itself a little bit for me now. Right. So 
I'm reading the Wikipedia entry right now. Um, that uh, people have, uh, they basically people did figure it out eventually with this book. I'm surprised you haven't seen this book. This is all you and the art. And it was so weird. Mm-hmm. Uh, <laughs> you would have really dug this book. I'm going to put that in the show notes so people can read about it. Yeah, there it is. But I don't know. I mean, they always used to infuriate me when, when musicians, artists wouldn't have, uh, have the lyrics. Gotta be yeah. struggling to figure out the damn lyrics. That is infuriating. And I always wondered how, like in, in songs that back in the old days before the internet had all the answers, there would be songs that you then someone would cover them and be like, and they're singing the lyrics and they have it right. Like somehow they got the lyrics. And I didn't know if I was just horrible at, in, at hearing lyrics and songs. And that was just the conclusion I made. So I kind of stopped trying. I'm like, well, I'll just sing it however I want. But I don't know. Would I feel you, like when, when I really, uh, when I sat down with the lyrics of the, of Elliot Smith's stuff, a lot of what I had loved about it, a lot of the imagery that I'd really like chewed over. Mm-hmm. When I saw it on the page, written on the page, I realized that there was a lot of stuff that I was, a lot of images that I spent a lot of time thinking about that on the page I recognized as being about heroin. Right. And I hadn't, I wasn't thinking about heroin uh, over the years that I listened to the tunes. I was thinking about other stuff. I was like, oh, wow, you know, what an interesting way of describing you know, the need that you have for someone or something and how you are constantly like under the thumb of a, and then it's like, Oh, he's talking about heroin. And then reading through a lot of the lyrics, it's like, Oh, he's talking about heroin again. And all of that really put a, you know, like a, a, a layer of grease on it for me because Heroin isn't interesting and being a junkie isn't interesting. And the the thing about being young and being on drugs is you think it is interesting. And what happened was he, he was, he had a beautiful mind and he was a, a, a great lyricist, I think, but he had given himself a subject matter that, um, I mean, when he writes about his childhood, I think it's some of the best writing there is. And when he writes about, you know, just being a young person, kind of like adrift in the world in Portland and in music, like I think it's, he's a very moving writer, but when his struggle is trying to kick dope or trying to get dope, it's like so much less interesting than it would be if those songs were about love or other kinds of pain to me. And that's a prejudice I have obviously about the way that artists take their drug and alcohol problems and turn it into their muse and I did it 
I, uh, more than doing it, I was, um, enamored by it. You know, it's the, it's loving the beat poets. It's Bukowski. It's Hemingway. It's mm-hmm. all the, it's all these characters that turn their alcoholism into their, into basically, you know, they rely on it to be the thing about them that's interesting and, and they let it kill them and they, um, I glamorized it when I was young and in learning not to glamorize it, I learned how much damage the idea had done to me, how much damage I think it does to people. I, yeah, there's nothing you can do about it. There's, I still have conversations all the time with young artists who are like, but, but, but what about Kerouac? And I'm like, what about Kerouac? <laughs> like, <laughs> did you, have you ever read an account of like the last years of Kerouac? Is that really like what you want? And they're like, but his art. I'm like, yeah, but his art. Like you could put, you could condense all of Kerouac down into one blue pill and I wouldn't eat it. (laughs) Uh, So, but that was an example of like, oh shit. Like don't read too closely sometimes. Um. Because I like I like lyricists that are impressionistic, and that's what I try to be. The the lyrics of the Shins records and Built to Spill records, like they're fascinating to me. They're smart and they're not too literal. Um, the the lyrics that AC Newman writes for the New Pornographers and for his own records, you know, they they have that that great quality. Oh, and not a surf whom I saw last night. You know, there are these songs that in a very few words communicate all this, this shared feeling that we have about being alone on a Saturday night or about, you know, being out in the world and appearing fine, but knowing that you're not fine. Um, of, you know, of being fully grown and, doing well by all accounts, but never quite able to live down the childhood trauma that you had nothing to do about, do with, you know, you had, you had nothing to say about it and you're still, and here you are 50 years old and you just can never quite get past the fact that you're, you were neglected or you were abused. And, you know, in such a, in just a few like little words along with a melody, and you don't need to read about it. You know, you don't need, you don't need to hear the writer say, this song was actually written about the summer I spent in Cape Cod in 1978. And one day a little girl, I mean, you kind of want to read that story. You just don't want it to tarnish the, the song you already have a relationship with. I don't know. I'll figure it out, Dan. It's all, it's, it's. It's wikis all the way down. Uh, okay, w- w- wait a second. Okay, I've done Dan. I've done a little bit of uh, researching here. Okay, uh, followed the uh, Wikipedia or the Wiki dot um, metadata. Yes. To uh, to 
discover that the author is a man named Jochen Roemling. Okay. Roemling. Ex- excellent pronunciation. Thank you. Roemling with the, with the umlaut over the O. Uh, and so I did a quick like scan of social media and he has a, a Twitter account, which he does not keep current. He hasn't tweeted in, he tweets about twice a year and he has an Instagram account, which he has not used since 2014. Okay. But putting, putting all was, his time into the, into this project, it would seem. I mean, who knows? But, uh, but his name was, was like ghosted out in my search engine, meaning that I had been to search for him before I'd looked, I'd looked for him before. So that indicated to me that there was, he had either communicated with me via Twitter or some other way. So then I went into my inbox, my email inbox, which is where you would probably normally start. And he did reach out to me a year ago, almost exactly a year ago and said, I have, uh, I'm a listener of your podcast and have taken myself, uh, in his words, I have taken myself the freedom to create a website displaying your stories and opinions in a structured way. Uh, the site is currently only known to you and me, and I would like to hear your reaction about it if this is something that you want to exist or if you find it creepy. So he absolutely uh, reached out and ran all of this by me. Mm-hmm. And then he, you know, and he explains his thinking here. That a lot of the stories that we tell come out in a random fashion, in a sort of slap a dash, tumble out fashion, and um, and he felt like uh, he wanted them in a, you know, that they the, they would be better, just as we surmised, they would be better or more accessible if they were in a if they were ordered in a fashion. In fact, he says, "I felt something had to be done." Um, and so and he had to, you know, he took control of the situation basically. Yes. And he's, you know, he listened to the very long series of podcasts I did with Brett Terpstra. Mm-hmm. And that was sort of that, you know, that was the combination of roadwork, Roderick on the line. And that was the starting point for building this architecture, which he's now been working on for a year. Um, and I replied to him and said, Jochen, I'm very flattered and excited to dig into your project. I have always wanted something like this to help me organize everything, which is true. I often think to write a book, but the prospect of digging through everything to piece all the stories together daunts me. Very true. And then I CC'd Captain Marm. I said, I'm CCing uh, Miriam here. You may recognize her from references uh, on the internet and on the show. She's a good resource and so I put all this together a year ago, suggested that the two of them at least interact with one another a little bit. Although I, I don't, I don't think that that, I don't think that they did probably. Right. right. Um, but so I was completely aware that this existed. The thing is that I didn't go look at it because I don't typically go look at things. I don't listen to my own shows. I don't listen to my own records and I you've don't. You've never listened. You've never once listened to. A podcast you've been on? I've listened to Song Exploder. The Song Exploder with um, with Rishi Hirway and the Commander Thinks Aloud. When it came out, I got so much response to it from people in the world. And it and it did kind of didn't peter off for a long time. You know, it, you get a lot of response when you put something online and it's like, oh, that's great. I'm glad everybody liked it. But I kept hearing about that Song Exploder over and over. 
And I, 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 I honestly like I went into a room, I closed the door, I sat down, I was like, okay, fine. I'm going to listen to this and see what, (laughs) you know, why do I keep hearing this? And I, and I listened to the show and it's so artfully built by Rishi. He did like such a good job of taking our hour and a half long conversation and turning it into a 20 minute long podcast that I was just very impressed by the, with his, you know, with his like creation. So I've listened to that. But when I sit down and try and listen to Roadwork or Roderick on the Line or mm. anything else, mm-hmm. I get six minutes in and I'm just, I throw my headphones across the room. I'm just like, nope, not for me. I cannot, cannot listen mm. to, to that. I can't listen to me talking to you. I just can't. I don't know why. I have a visceral reaction to it. And a similar thing to this. Like, I can think you, can you sent- listen to your own music? Mm, it's not what I would choose to do. Like, can my, you, can you watch an interview of yourself or yourself performing or something like that? And a guest appearance on a, on a TV or a video type show. I do not want to. I was over at a friend's house the other day and he was like, check it out. He's a huge TV, something like the fucking TV that was bigger than my first apartment. And they throw up a video of the long winters playing last year, live show. Um, and you know, I'm uh, the, our faces on the video are bigger than life Mm -hmm. because this TV and he and his family and his daughters and my daughter are all there sitting Indian style on the floor watching this thing. And I'm standing in the doorway, like standing in the doorway, I think because I literally want to flee and I'm half in the room, half out because I actually feel, uh, I feel like a primitive reaction that I might need to like leap out of the room if something happens on the screen that I can't bear. And then there was some harmony note between me and Sean that kind of like graded a little bit. And I did, I took a, like a step out of the room and just sort of was like, but I'm, but you know, they're also watching me like, look, we're looking at your thing. And so I have to keep that face of like, ha ha, great. Oh, look at that. But I'm like so uncomfortable and not, and like to, it's not just the, that I don't like being looked at while it's happening. I, if I were alone in a, in a house and that was all that the TV would show was me, I would never turn it on. Mm-hmm. Don't want to see it. Don't want to interact with it. Um, and it's, it's, it's more than just like, Oh, my voice sounds weird. Like I, I don't want to perceive my own, uh, transit through the world. I mean, I look, I take selfies and I put them on Instagram, but I don't want to see me interviewed or playing. Right. So when he sent me this, like I, I, I responded politely. I'm very flattered and excited to dig into your project, which I feel like is the polite thing to say. I'm, and I am flattered. I am very flattered. And now that I have looked at it under your supervision, <laughs> right. And in, in your safe, safe space, right. I'm like not only flattered, but I'm astonished Yeah, and like impressed. But at the time when he sent it to me, you know, he sent the link. It's like, slash slash john roderick dot wiki dot dot com mm-hmm. 
I, I mean, it's the last thing I would normally do is go look at something. But I said, you know, I've always wanted something like this to help me organize everything, which is true. And I've talked about that a lot. I want to write a book, but the prospect of digging through everything is, daunts me. That's also true. Um, but then I, that was the last that I wanted to think about it. And then he replied and said that he was glad that I liked it and he's going to keep working on it. Well, clearly uh, he's, he has. Yeah. And you know, and most impressively. So, so I just wanted to, I just wanted to add that at the end that I, that I, this is not, this should not have been a mystery to me, nor should it have been a surprise if I were not someone who tried to blot out <laughs> all this kind of thing. Right. And you know, and when I get emails like that, like check that, check out this thing I made or whatever, I'm just like, thank you. And, um, and just, you know, draw the curtain as fast as I can. So, so impressive, impressive. And he is not, he's not some mysterious, uh, lurker. He actually sought in every way you could possibly ask. Mm -hmm. He, he sought like, um, approval before making it public. Right. And so all honor to the man. And I encourage anyone listening that is interested in also this in contacting him through that and see if you guys can reach some agreement where you get to add things. Cause I saw that there's under the Dan, you pointed it out under the topic of the time my house was burgled. Mm -hmm. There's really only a one sentence explanation. I know there are people out there that want to add reams and reams about that story because it, that story lasted six months. Right. Nine months, January to to September, even longer. Anyway, that's all I wanted to. That's all I wanted to add. 